Welcome back, everybody. I'm Brian Tuck, your host. This is Creator Confidential. And this week, we're doing something a bit different than on past episodes. A good friend of mine from Michigan named Dave Below, and that is actually how you pronounce it. I've been pronouncing it wrong for quite a long time. We are joined by my friend Dave Below from Dearborn, Michigan, who is one of, I think, the best people I've heard at riffing on pop culture and film and music. And we were both going to see Solo, a Star Wars story, independent of one another. And as we were kind of exchanging messages about it, I said, well, hold your fire and come on the come on the podcast and let's uh let's get into this so without further delay here is episode i think 54 yep episode 54 with a not so short review of solo a star wars story here we go you're listening to creator confidential with attorney author and musician brian tuck Brian's legal practice is focused on arts and entertainment law, startups, nonprofits, and faith-based organizations. To learn more, visit tucklaw.com on the web. Creator Confidential starts now. So, my friend Dave and I have been conspiring for a little bit to to do some movie review episodes, this being the first one. And we're both uh, star Wars geeks to some extent. And Dave is probably one of the best people I know at riffing on film in general and in star Wars uh, in particular. So let's, uh, let's break down solo, a star Wars story. Dave, welcome. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure. And I'm uh I'm flattered that you want to uh, let me riff on this. Um, I get I get teased by a lot of friends for being the guy that likes everything, um, and I usually do. But um, I could admit to something uh, not being that great at the same time, but I can still find enjoyment in most of it. I get these detailed emails from Dave on you know, on a, on a jazz record he, you know, discovered or on, you know, uh, you know, a Van Halen record that we might've forgotten about for a little while or, or, or something like that. And they're so in depth. Um, <laughs> it just seemed natural to me that, geez, this guy should be a movie reviewer or, or, you know, contribute to the show. Cause it's just some of the stuff you bring up is, uh, is hilarious <laughs> to me. And I, I thought, I thought everybody else would dig, getting getting in on this so um we're about the same age i think we probably have the same kind of relationship to star wars generally i mean i we i think we both grew up with these movies i know i'm a little bit older um than you are but tell us you know first like what your general you know what was your first gut reaction after you saw it and let's go from there yeah my first gut reaction was that it was nice to have a good old fashioned Star Wars movie where unlike um, as you as you probably experienced with uh, Rogue One and Last Jedi, where there was a lot of people, 
questioning and questioning their Star Wars fandom or questioning the intentions of the Star Wars, uh, the Lucasfilm people, you know, narratives going left and and taking chances and messing, you know, quote unquote, messing with characters and stuff, you know, with how, you know, Ray doesn't have any special parents, supposedly. I don't believe that, but we can get into that later. Um, but it was nice to just have a straightforward adventure movie that was pretty much old school and it was light and it was refreshing and it felt like star Wars, but it had, it had a little modern kind of, you know, it had some modern intensities to it just with, you know, seeing people get blown up by a scout Walker and, and, uh, and, uh, um, Oh, should we avoid spoilers for people that haven't heard it? Should we no. talk around things? Screw, screw oh, them. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's okay. just, I mean, All I right. think, you know, I think there's a lot of value in, in art criticism in general. And this is something I really am going to start talking about a lot more going forward. But, you know, whenever an event happens, whether it's a record or, you know, somebody's Super Bowl performance at halftime or a, a major mm -hmm. kind of film event like this, there's a ton of instant analysis. And of course, yeah. you know, a lot of these people have seen the film before it was released. And I think there's a lot of value in letting things settle down a bit and kind of reflecting a while on, on things. And what I mean by that is that um, I, I think a lot of people came out of Last Jedi loving it. And then as they thought about what they had seen for a day or two or three days or a week, their opinions kind of soured on last Jedi. I'm so that's the kind of approach I, you know, I, I think is valuable, but uh, sorry to get off on that tangent. I'm, I'm full of tangents no, 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 today. No. I, no, that's oh, dude. I'm the king of tangents. Just <laughs> ask anyone who knows me back to solo. I, I mean, I think I liked it. Mm -hmm. I know that, the, the trouble is everybody wants to like the worst place to go on the internet are the, th are the comment threads on anything. Oh God. Yes. You know, so, yeah. so you have, so you have some legit, you know, music and film critics out there and then you've got 99.9% of the rest of the population. The where, peanut gallery. Hiding yeah, behind a keyboard. Yeah, where everyone's kind of attacking all the time. Um, yeah. I mean, I I think Alton Ehrenreich did about as good a job as one can expect. You know, no one is Harrison Ford, and no one's right. going to step into the role and make everyone forget that Harrison Ford, you know, is really the character. But I, I think... Aaron Reich did a great job. And when I was in, you know, when I was sitting in the film, I was not, I, you know, I could suspend my disbelief enough that I wasn't constantly thinking, well, Harrison Ford didn't do that. Or, you know, I mean, there was enough yep. of the tone that was captured in his performance. I thought that it was, you know, I liked it. It was, it was uh, a service more than serviceable job. I, I completely agree. I had, Expect I had a good feeling going in from when I saw Alden when I first got wind that he was 
in the running for it. Uh, I was at that time, I was trying to catch up on some Coen brothers movie and hail Caesar had just come out. And yet again, like a many Coen brothers movies, they come out. I swear I'm going to go see him in the theater because they're always great and better to see in the theater when you can focus. And I missed it. So I rented it and I was watching it and he was, he was, there was a million people in the movie, but he was so good in it. And there was a scene that, uh, he's basically kind of this like cowboy, you know, yokel kind of dude who gets thrust into this big budget movie where he has to be the handsome leading man, but he's kind of an airhead. And there was a moment where he smirked and he had this smile that I was like, he's going to be able to do Han Solo. No problem. He grows his hair out and he gets, he, if he gets the mannerisms and he gets the tone, like you said, I think he's going to be great. And then about a month ago, I have a, I was reading, um, he was the cover uh, story in Esquire magazine. And so they did a big feature on him, like anyone who's got a big movie coming out. They did one on Lando too, which was great. Or, you know, um, uh, Donald Glover. Donald Glover, and, yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, so the Alden piece, when I read that, I came out of it completely convinced he was going to do great because he's, this, he's a young but really curious guy about film and acting and the craft and the process. And he's already logged a bunch of miles, literally hanging out with like Warren Beatty and Francis Ford Coppola because he did some projects with them. And he's one of those actor guys who like, instead of just being caught up in the, in the circus of it and stuff, he likes to go nerd out with those guys and hang out and ask them about why they did this in this old movie they did or some movie that they weren't famous for, but saying, look, I know you're, you know, your filmography, Warren and Francis, you know, why, why did you make these choices? And I came away from reading his interview, like, man, this guy's solid. He's young and he's curious and he's solid. And he's doing this for the kind of reasons that really good actors who might want to become really good directors do. And so I was like, I think he's going to do what Chris Pond did with the Star Trek movies, where he wasn't doing a Shatner, he wasn't doing a William Shatner impression. He was trying to get the essence of Kirk. And he did. And it was very subtle. And when you go back and watch those start those newer Star, Star Trek movies now, he does feel more like quote unquote Shatner than at first glances because you go in expecting it. You're like, well, how much does he look like him? And how is he is he doing any of those Shatner impressions that we've spent the last 30 years making fun of? You know, the stilted speech and the overdramatic pauses between literally every word and he didn't do that but now when you go back and watch it like i can even tell you where he does one of them uh like it was at the end of the first or the second movie but there's a point where there's these little sprinkles of shatner isms that pine added in just like the way he would like kind of open his mouth and kind of uh you know kind of blink his eyes and be like yeah well okay and like do that while he's walking to go get in his chair and i was like oh that's a little that's a little homage to Shatner right there and well, so the subtle subtlety is uh is key yeah, I think yeah so exactly and so and especially over the course of the three movies that they've done with him not to jump over the truck so much but it's it's a perfect analogy because when Alden got picked and it was all whatever then suddenly YouTube blew up with all his videos that there's this Canadian kid who really does look like a young Harrison Ford. He's got the nose, he's got the eyes, and he does Harrison Ford impressions. And I remember everyone going, why did they get this guy? I wanted to get this guy. And it's like, well, doing a Harrison Ford impression 
is one thing, but does he have chops? Does he have the goodwill of all of these directors that he's worked with, like Coppola, Beatty, the Coen brothers, you know, people that know that this guy can show up, do the job and handle movie acting, which is a, which is a really mechanical, tactile, patient thing that you have to do. You know, movie acting is much different than stage. I mean, you know, it's, uh, anyway, it's very assembly line and it it's, there's a craft to doing, to making good acting work in doing it in a movie where you're shooting things out of sequence and stuff. So anyway, I felt like somebody made the decision to go, okay, this Alden guy is the kid because you know that the whole franchise is riding on it. And, and he did it like he, the first 10 minutes you're like, okay, his voice doesn't sound the same or whatever, but little things, the way he can smirk, the way he can, he can seem cocky. And he's supposed to be a bright, young, enthusiastic solo Han, not the jaded worn down one that if the more I think about it, cause I've seen it twice. He hasn't become the Woody Har- Harrelson director yet. He hasn't been doing this for 20 years and getting jaded and being like, I've lost people. I've lost lovers. I've lost, you know, bounties. I've lost, you know, I've had to dump shipments. Like he's still excited. And I think people are confusing the enthusiasm that a young Han has with comparing it to that jaded kind of weary Harrison Ford version. So anyway, that's, well, I think, <laughs> no, that, no, that's, I think you're exactly right. And the trick, these movies, when I say these movies, I mean the anthology films, Rogue One and Solo and whatever, whatever else happens Yeah, from a, from a construction standpoint, they're very, different kinds of challenges the writers on these movies are not getting an open-ended blank slate you know okay do whatever you want these characters have storylines that they have to fit into so we know you know obviously we know lando lives we know chewie lives we know han solo lives no none of those characters get killed off in this movie because we know in the timeline they they exist after this story. So I think it's a special kind of um, challenge from a storyline standpoint to, um, to have to to work within those constraints, you know, because it really does take a lot of options off the table. Nobody's going to be in, you know, even if they appear to be in like, you know, mortal danger, you know, they're going to survive. So a lot yes. of the elements of surprise are not uh, not available to the screenwriters. And I think um, Team Kasdan, you know, did, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it was Lawrence and his son, I think. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you Jonathan Kasdan, I think. Is his... Yeah. You know, they did a great job because they can't do whatever they want with these characters. And I suspect right. you're going to see Kasdan all over his name, all over these anthology movies as a way to keep the fan base comfortable. You know, I like since, you know, since he, he was there back in the day, right. He know? wrote empire. He wrote into, you know, Raiders of the lost Ark. I mean, any one of these films is, is the crowning achievement in a career and he's got four or five of them. Yeah. Uh, in on his on his resume so if he's involved you know we're probably going to be fairly good you know what you're going to get to some extent which i think 
Disney's probably a little bit unnerved, maybe, mm-hmm. by all of the backlash from from the Last Jedi. And quite honestly, I almost wish Abrams had kept J.J. Abrams had kept the the middle uh, film in the new trilogy because this is a separate discussion, and we'll have to come back to that. But you mm-hmm. know, I think the Last Jedi just went off the rails at the end, and there were a couple of things in there that should not have been. But back to Solo, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is why see this is this is why uh, these are good conversations. They wander all over the place. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's the giant universe and it's great. And you made you made me think of a um, you you uh, inspired a good thought that I never thought of. But the when, when you were talking about that, you've got to paint the you, you've got to keep these characters within a timeline where, like you said, we know they can't die. We know we know what they're going to go on to is that uh, one of the things that I love one of the things that I'm still thinking about as I think about solo is considering from what I've read, it was like three quarters of the movie was done or maybe half before Ron Howard came in. And the more I think about it, I'm trying to wonder how much of the Ron Howard touch, I guess it would have to be a lot of it because he had the final edit. I mean, at the end of the day, he was the one who came in and said, okay, what do we got? What do we need? How do we fill this out? How do we massage it? And then how do we pace and edit it? Because it wasn't the uh, uh, Lord and Phil, Chris and I can't remember the other guy's last name, but Chris and Phil, the original two guys that did the Lego movie and Cloudy with meatballs and stuff, who were supposedly, allegedly taking it a kind of a more goofier, irreverent version. Not goofier, maybe, but the tone was a little too light, I guess. Anyway, point is, if any if anybody could handle making a movie where you know that at the end, no one is really going to die that matters. It's Ron Howard. I mean, he did Apollo 13. Everyone's like, well, we know what happened. You know, it took the, you know, the rocket went up, this happened, blah, 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 blah. And yet that movie was great. He, he knows how to yank the drama and present the situations to hit those buttons in you that make you go, all right, I know these guys are not going to die, but why am I still being, why am I still feeling afraid for them? Because he cast the right people and he presented the contexts that would elicit any, the, the, you know, w- would make you feel for people because you like them and because you um, can understand or have sympathy for how crazy a situation is or the, the emotions that are getting pulled and torn in a situation that you already know the outcome. So you can kind of marinate in what's going on in the person's mind and heart while while they're going through that process. You know what I mean? So between Kazdan writing and and having that, um, you know, knowing the Star Wars. uh, I want to say the M word, but I don't want to say it just out of uh, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, The uh, the the (laughs) Kazdan has. You know, the magic, the the magic. Yeah. Thank you. The fairy dust. Uh, He has, he has the fairy dust and Ron Howard has old school chops and he knows how to take a movie about a situation that everyone has written about and knows how it all worked out and still make it entertaining. And I think it ended up being everything kind of worked out the way it should be for them to do like, look, we got to make a good movie about Han Solo. We got, we, we, we know everybody loves Han and we got to make people still love Han and still love Han and Chewie and love Lando, which 
you know, Glover did a great job of doing. I totally agree that, you know, use the word old school chops with respect to Ron Howard. And for sure, that's a great way to describe him because, you know, think about how many directors were available who could be plugged into a major production like this midstream and steady the ship, finish the project on time because I think the release schedule was is set. fairly, yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there was definitely, there had to have been a sense of working against the clock to get photography completed so they could do all the rest of the things that they needed to do. I think and, they had you know, a lot of the principal photography done. I think they went back and did some reshoots, but I think they had a, some big chunks of it done. Not sure. I'd have, I would I'll have to go back and look at that. But well, I had I, I mean I had I had read that like sixty to seventy percent of the film was reshot. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Yep. I mean they almost did the whole thing, and it's it's curious when you see it. And I know this was the intended result, but when you see the film you can't tell what was in the first version and what's in the Ron Howard version that was, that was added later. So, I mean, it, from an, it was seamlessly edited for sure. Oh yeah. And you know what I wonder is when I, I, I kind of noticed that like in the beginning of the film and maybe it was because they, this was the first stuff that they filmed. Like, you know, the beginning when they're on Corellia and you're, you're learning about Han and Kira and they, you know, they're trying to get away from the, um, the slavers or whatever they called them. And, you know, and they have their little land speeder chase and stuff. It's like the vibe of Han at that point, like, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the sound of his voice or something, but it seemed like, okay, this guy's, you know, acting and they're reading the lines and they're doing the action scenes. And then as the movie went on, it felt like Alden like became a little bit more comfortable. And I don't know if that was like a happy accident of as the production moved on and everyone felt a little more comfortable with like, yeah, we're doing the solo movie and we got this and whatever. Like, was that a directorial thing or was it, you know, did, did they do it on purpose or was it just like this kind of happy accident? Like I, I, I felt like the, the very beginning of the movie, he like I was, I was watching him and, and, and in my brain kind of doing the whole comparison of, okay, how well is he playing the isms of Harrison Ford's Han Solo? And I'm like, but why do I need to do that? You know, expectation can be a prison. And then once the three years later went by and he's in the infantry for the empire and he meets Woody and all that other stuff, his tone changed. And so I wonder if maybe that was the cutoff. It's like, was that little, you, you know what I mean? Like was technically... Did it just so happen like that or did they do that? They were like, just, just keep. There definitely is a shift in the tone. You know, once you get through, you know, it does, the movie does start out slowly. I don't think that's any secret. Uh -huh. And yeah. for me, it wasn't until the, I think the campfire scene where Han and Chewie are in the gang now. And Woody Harrelson yeah. throws him the pistol, the blaster. Yeah. Um, yep. At that moment, that was a nice touch. At that moment, it seemed to me it changed gear at, from that point forward. Yeah, I agree. I thought that was a nice touch, and um, 
the way uh was was it before um was was it before did did Han and Chewie introduce each other you know how like when they were like on the uh the railing of the ship while they were flying through the mountains was that before or after the campfire like when he was like okay well what am I gonna call you I can't call you Chewbacca all the time was that before or after the campfire because it seemed like the campfire and that little scene Han seemed to have a little bit more of this weight to him in terms of just his, you know, he didn't seem like a kid anymore. And maybe that was by design because it technically was what three years. I think the scene you're, you're talking about when they're, when Han and Chewie are standing on the rail down underneath the shuttle as they're flying away. Um, right. Where, where he goes, what, what am I supposed to call you? I am fairly right. sure that happens right after they take off after they, um, the rollout of Corelli or wherever, wherever that planet was, where uh, Woody Harrelson. No, you're, you know what? You're totally right because that was after the shower scene because they were all covered in right, mud. Right, right. That was they funny. Do, that that the funny. That was an unexpected laugh that worked really well. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and that reminds me. Um, we'll have to. I'm sure we'll get to this when we start talking about the Lando interplay. But there's a. There's a there was a Lando moment that I thought was really great that kind of anyway. Um, yeah, it was because it was definitely they were cleaned up now. I'm glad you said that because they were th- th- that's when they were back on the thing. They were all cleaned up. Then they talked about it. Then they went and landed. And uh, I'm just trying to think, was the campfire when they realized when they were talking about how they were going to go talk to Dr. Voss or did they go straight to? Yeah, I think it was. I think they were talking about you know, why they were up for it. And, and because Woody, Woody gave him the blaster because he was going to need one before they go into the, you know, lion's den of the, of Dryden's yacht. Exactly. Space yacht. So let's talk yeah. about Donald Glover a little bit. And, you yeah. know, the, the importance of, of Lando as a character, although he's not in, um, you know, he's not in empire for very long. And he's not in Return of the Jedi for very long, but he obviously blows up the second Death Star and a whole bunch of other stuff. But the casting of Lando, I think, was just as important as the casting of of, of Han, you know, those characters. So what did you think about Donald Glover? I thought he was great. Um, I didn't have a lot of mileage with him, though a lot of friends of mine did. Um, a lot of friends, I, I, I missed the boat on watching the community show and I know that Atlanta is, you know, I, I've heard him on NPR. It's basically, I've, I've heard Glover in interviews and I saw him on SNL, uh, knock it out of the park. So, but I've never seen actually any of the shows he's known for, but I know he's, you know, he's got his hands in a lot of, um, uh, a lot of, what's that phrase? Hands in a lot of buckets. What? Anyway. Um, you know, he writes and he directs and he acts and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to imagine there are not many people that can host Saturday night live and be the musical guest and be fairly compelling at both. You know, I mean, that's a very, that's a very elite uh, group of of performers and, and he's in it. I mean, he's, he, he was terrific. I thought. And he, and he had that and he had the skill that only a few SNL guests can do, even though, even when they get great actors, but he could also do the thing where he wasn't glued to every cue card. You know what I mean? Like he knew what was going on. He could look at the cue card 
see the next five lines and then move his eyes around to be more interactive in the scene. So it didn't look like, oh, he's obvious. You know, they set up those shots. So like the person's talking to the other person, but really they're just looking dead ahead at cue card. And he he knew how to move around. He knew how to uh, to, to, you know, to, to not look at the cue card. He was fantastic. So I had a ball watching that. And that was kind of one of my first times immersing in the Donald Glover, you know, thing that he has. And then, like I was saying earlier, um, right before uh, that Han Solo, uh, the Alden issue of Esquire, they had uh, Glover on the cover. And so they talked about him and I read that. And so the little bit that they talked about Lando is that, that I came away from it being super confident about with him was that he said, you know, when he was growing up, same thing, you know, for a lot of African-American kid, it was like they had the Lando figure. That was the one that was their one connection into the universe. And he said years ago when he started hearing through his agents and people that there was possibly a solo movie, he was like, I want to be Lando, make it happen. And a lot of people were like, dude, you're still small potatoes. You know, it's a really long shot. Don't get your hopes up. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, just just make sure you put my name in the ring. And when, when it started getting closer to that and he had some more confidence that it might happen, he flat out just says in the, in the piece that he did his homework and he knocked it out of the park and he nailed it. He was like, I watched the movies. I studied everything. I knew that, that I was going to be the guy that does this. And I, you know, he essentially willed it to happen in a way, if you believe in that kind of stuff. And, um, I thought he was great. I mean, the first couple of trailers that they did where they featured him talking. I mean, I was, I don't know if I sent it to you, but I was sending to it a lot of my star Wars friends. It's like, Oh my God, just close your eyes and listen to this. It's Lando. He had the inflection. He had the tone. He had the pacing of the way Billy D talks and kind of, you know, that, um, you know, I mean, just that, um, Am I allowed to swear on the podcast or should I try not to? You can do whatever <laughs> you can do, whatever you want. That's fine. We're good. Well, he, well, you know, he, he, he had that, um, I mean, he had that Colt 45 suave mother vibe, you know, he just <laughs> like, you know, just, you know, I mean, like, I mean, you can, you can, you can put side by side, like the Empire Lando and the Donald Glover ones. And he's, you know, just the way he would, uh, like here, one of those touches when he sees Kira again, the whole thing, kissing her on the hand and saying something while he's going in for the kiss on the hand and he makes a real slow drawn out thing you know that whole like welcome leia you know and he's like all right all right whatever and, you know han does that and um just little things like that the way his inflection melodically goes down at the end of a sentence and stuff like that it's just he nailed it and and he had the vibe and the same thing and it was um what would good word he transposed the he transposed character's age so that now you've got a um a younger lando who's he's a little bit more seasoned and jaded than han because he's been smuggling he's been around there he's got his game and he has a lot of game so he had you know i, I thought that they comparatively he, uh glover and alden comparatively did a good job of transposing their characters now a couple what would you say is it like I don't know, 10, 15 years and kept them in the right spot. Lando was a little more sassy. He still had his game. He was still, you know, 
uh, whatever. He hadn't been running a cloud city. And, you know, like he was like he tells Han Empire, you know, he's just like, oh, I got labor difficulties, labor difficulties of every kind and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, he's been around and he's a little tired, too. So I I I am totally signed up to see Han and Lando hopefully show up because Alden's signed for three solo movies and hopefully Lando comes back. And I, I kind of think the way everyone is unanimously agreeing that he knocked it out of the park, that they should bring Lando back in. I'd be surprised if they didn't. I, I think we're going to get yeah. two, two more, two more of these films. Um, whether that's overall a good idea or not, I'm not sure. I'm a big believer yeah. in, you know, not, Part of the reason why the original trilogy was so cool to me, I mean, obviously I was, you know, much younger and processed these things differently. But, you know, as I look at them now, I think part of the allure is that, you know, there are things you don't know. Like, you know, there was a whole set of activity that happens prior to Luke meeting Obi-Wan and maybe not everything needs to be explained. You know, I think, I think that a lot with, you know, with the way things are today, and I don't mean to sound like an old guy, but some things are more powerful because of the mystery surrounding them. And then you find the, then you find them out or you see them and you're like, Oh, well that wasn't that cool. Like I didn't need to know that. Yeah. Right. And just a, and just a reference to something happened. I mean, perfect. Something happening just a reference to it can add seasoning or mileage to a character. I mean, Han and Leia in the tunnel in the beginning of Empire. He's like, well, the bounty hunter that we ran into on Mandel changed my mind. You're like, okay, what the hell was that all about? Was that Boba Fett? Was it Bosk? You know, who, who was it? Oh, and by the way, wasn't that cool that they mentioned Bosk in, um, at that the was, campfire scene? It was, an, you know? it was, it seemed like an odd reference to me, but maybe it's yeah. a small... You know, for as big as they try to portray everything, you know, the galaxy is a huge place, one would think. But, you know, maybe this, maybe the group of people that make things happen in in the Star Wars world is actually very small. I don't know. But no, but well, there was two there was two super super nerd references like that. They were talking about Bosk and then they and then he also um uh, was it Lando or who, who meant, who asked, uh, yeah. Uh, Lando tells, uh, Beckett, you know, Woody Harrelson, he was like, aren't you the one that killed? And, or do you, do you, do you remember who Aura Singh was? Do you know who she is? Oh yeah. Or well, we she appeared, it's, that, right. No, that's another bounty hunter. Yeah. And she appeared, I think in Phantom Menace, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yep. Right? She was, you said you saw her for one shot. She's just she was the she was the pale bald gal with the antenna sticking out of her head, and she's just watching the pod race go by. She was like up on a lift, and they just show her kind of leaning over a rail and just watching the pod race go by when it went through a canyon that had, uh, you know, uh, domiciles and uh, domiciles and stuff, and people living in it. But yeah, so that's kind of a neat thing of like, oh, well, how is that going to pop in there and stuff? Anyway, I, I nerded out to the side. I tangented. <laughs> But like you were saying, um, so so if we're going to talk about where the movies can go, because Alden is signed for three movies, I assume uh, Glover is, or ho- hopefully there's like a clause. It's like you know, can we call you to do it? I'm sure he would do it again. But so 
so we got two, there's two things that Han, that the Hans can go explore because we, we leave it at, they're going to go to Tatooine about and go, obviously go see Java, even though they never say Java, but we all know that's what they mean. So that will be interesting to see how Han, you know, they could do a whole movie about how Han pissed off Java. And at the same time, we know that there's, we, we've always known that there's always this, this Han and Boba Fett thing. And did you notice that in Dryden Moss's office, among all the paraphernalia and all the keepsakes that he has, did you notice that in the back on a table, on like a mannequin stand, was a Mandalorian armor set? Basically, a Boba Fett uniform was mounted a table in the back. And when I saw it the second time, I looked around for it more, and it they they make it very clear that it's there. It's, oh, there's there's a bunch of shots where it's definitely like there's the helmet, there's the backpack, there's the cape coming off of it. And wouldn't it be interesting if the whole Han and Boba Fett thing is now that like Kira's in charge of uh, Crimson Dawn, or not in charge, but she took over for Voss, and now it's like, wouldn't that, you know, wouldn't that be the shit if the Han and Boba Fett thing starts because it, maybe it's a love interest rivalry or Kira uses Boba to go find Han so that maybe they can be together again and then, you know, uh, shit and or hilarity ensues. It's like, why, you know, someone made a choice to go put the Mandalorian armor in that office, like, or is that where Boba Fett's going to get it from? You know what I mean? Like, maybe he's like some up and coming guy. I mean, he, apparently he should have Django's helmet. Maybe he just repainted it. Or does he come and take that from her and be like, this belongs to me because it's, you know, it's part of my lineage, you know, stuff like that. Anyway, that kind of nerdery, that kind of seasoning of the movie, I thought was really fun. In a movie that is this big and this, yeah. and, and ripe to be hyper analyzed every mm -hmm. element of every shot i am sure is carefully thought out and there aren't things do not happen in these films just because there's some there right. is some rationale for why you see what you what you see yeah even if it's blurry in the background because it literally was but but it's such an iconic shape you know every every red-blooded star wars male i would assume and, and female too i should say but you know every guy like us that was seven or eight years old or, or what would it be you know nine or ten or eleven who saw boba fett for the first time you you know you could see that silhouette from a mile away and be like that's boba fett. <laughs> and uh but like you said it's like everything is everything's put in there for a reason even if it's just to make a bookmark or a placeholder for like well we could explore this if we want to we've left the channel open. You know? Yeah. I hope, you know, I mean, the thing that I know is not going to happen, which is, which is what I think would really be best for the whole overall enterprise is, you know, they got to slow down. There's, there's yeah. with, with a movie coming out every year, there's not enough time you know, like, I just think, and this is probably an old-fashioned uh, sentiment, but, you know, scarcity, whether it's, in you know, intentionally occurring or just naturally occurring, is something uh -huh. that I think we are losing 
You know, like if you think right. back, you know, the original trilogy, you know, A New Hope comes out in 77, uh, Empire comes out in 80, Jedi comes out in 84. There's three years in between. 83, I think, though. It was May of 83. 83. Okay. So yeah. mm-hmm. now we're in this zone where I think, you know, Marvel really is setting the pace for all other blockbusters. There's just too much stuff coming out. Stories that, you know, I think the first, you know, Avengers was really good. The first Iron Man I thought was really good. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, Captain America Winter Soldier I thought was really good. But a lot Civil of this War stuff. Was good too. Yeah. But a lot of it, uh, it's, it's, you know, do we really need Ant-Man? Do we really need <laughs> half of this crap? Probably not. And as a result, right. it cheapens what? the whole thing where it's like almost right. like like a hedge fund is running it and trying to squeeze every penny out of the audience that it possibly can instead right. of stepping back and going, you know what? We should just do one every two years mm. and or one every 18 months even might be a good well, idea. Probably- but also at the same time, I mean, and I and I I totally know what you mean. However, I think I think at the same time, it's a slightly different animal in that because it's a comic book universe, and there are so many like characters that have literally had their own series of comic books or like their own comic book line, or even like Spider Man that's been through like twelve or thirteen different iterations, you know like the amazing Spider-Man and, you know, they've had multiple people do the, the character and then they've had it set in, you know, way in the future. Like that same thing with the Batman and the dark Knights with Marvel. And I read a good article about the guy, the guy that's basically in charge of all the Marvel stuff. He's, he's, I think he's younger than we are. I think he's in his mid thirties and he was the guy who kind of came in and corralled all that stuff. And yeah, there's a million of those movies. However, like with black, what, what, what we saw happen with Black Panther making a billion dollars. And finally, finally, there was this awesome character that everyone knew about. And, you know, in the African-American audience and demographic, we're finally like, finally, we've got one of ours, you know, getting one of the big budget treatments. And that movie was terrific. I loved it. And it was, and, and then the way he just seamlessly worked into the thing. Um, some comic book friends of mine and I have been talking about even my daughter's karate instructor, who's a big superhero movie fan, we were talking about this, about the way that the Marvel movies plant these seeds like four or five movies back that suddenly make a bunch of sense when when that seed sprouts and becomes a narrative or a plot point in like an Avengers movie five years later. And, and you go back and watch them and go, oh, my God, they referenced this. They referenced that. It's they have a little more leeway to be able to throw those movies out. But like you said, but it's like Ant-Man and, and Wasp that's coming out. Is, is that needed? But it's like, but if they've got the gajillion dollars to do it and it satisfies that little niche, it's like, okay, that's fine. And then they can plant them into the movies and stuff like that. And, and the way that they're moving Spider-Man in with the Avengers. But no, I, I totally get you because those three years between the Star Wars movies with no internet and you know, and if you were in the Star Wars fan club like I have and you got or I was and you got those uh, issues of band tracks that you would get 
It was like that little paper magazine they'd send every couple right. months and they just yep. get like four pictures and go, what is that? What is that? You know, and, or they'd put out the, you know, they, they'd put out kind of a, a lost leader figure. You know what I mean? It was some droid or it was like, uh, like for my, what was it? My, it was 80. It was April. So like, so yeah, so my ninth birthday, a friend of mine got me a Hoth rebel soldier figure for Star Wars. And there's a picture I have still of me sitting in this ease chair in the basement of my birthday party. And all of my little gang of friends are climbing over the chair and we're looking on the back of the figure card at all of the other figures and vehicles and going, what the hell is that? What is that thing? Who is this? And it was like, like you said, the scarcity, you know, like the value of something is based, you know, how precious it is, is based on its scarcity value. You know, like it's, if there's a million of them, it doesn't cost that much. If there's only a few, then the value goes up. So you're right. It's like pacing it out and not giving everybody what they want to know at all times. I thought Abrams did a good job of that with Force Awakens. Builds up that, it kind of refreshes and recharges the battery of your Star Wars love, you know, and the, re, you know, wondering about it. I mean, you, you mentioned Van Halen in the little introductory. David Lee Roth was a master of that, you know, saying something offhand and that would be like, oh, well, maybe in 18 months you'll be hearing from us. And everyone's like, oh, 18 months till a new record, blah, 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 blah. That P.T. Barnum, that showman, like, give people a little bit of a taste, give them a little bit of a tease, but wonder what the heck we were talking about. Right. What does it mean? And I think um, I think Star Wars is doing a pretty good job of that. I mean, even though the day Solo came out, they're like, yep, we've got a Boba Fett movie in the works. And somebody else was telling me that they read that supposedly they're, they're working on an Obi-Wan movie. And even Ewan McGregor, somebody asked him about that a couple months ago. And he was like, yeah, I'd do it again, I think. And it was like, oh, does this mean it's coming? And, you know, um, which would be interesting to see. Uh, but like we know, it, with the end of the uh, Solo movie, now, now that a lot of people that, you know, aren't as deep nerds like we are that didn't watch all the animated shows, Darth Maul's back and he's got his metal lower half of the body i knew that that was in the star wars yeah i knew that that was in the star wars canon from the um the star wars rebels and the clone Wars shows but i totally did not see that coming that he's like in charge of this crime syndicate you know i think i think so, that was totally unnecessary that was one of there were yeah. a couple of things that i thought uh, i don't know like we could have ended with Amelia Clark being the ultimate villain. I thought that would have been interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think clearly they're setting, no question it's being set up for future films where we'll see Maul again. And I don't know if it was actually Ray Park in the makeup or if it was a digital. It was, it was, it was Ray. It, yeah. I looked, I watched the credits. It, it was Ray Park. But the dude who, because Ray Park didn't do the original voice um, in Phantom Menace. There, it was this English guy named Peter or something like that who's got this great, you know, this this great theatrically trained raspy low voice who's been on a bunch of British sitcoms and stuff um, and some other movies. Um, it, when we're done with this, I'll Google him and send you a clip because it's funny to see the guy's face. And then you hear that voice coming out of his mouth. But uh, <laughs> but they, the the guy that did the voice, the, the guy that did the solo Maul voice is the guy that's been doing Maul in the recent animated shows like Star Wars Rebels and the Clone Wars. 
So yeah, so they mixed them the two. But it was nice. It, it's fun that Ray Park got to put the stuff on again. You know. Well, there, there you have it. So your overall yeah. impressions. How would you rate this? We got to come up with a rating uh, uh, system for our movie reviews here. But out of out of like you know five stars, what would you have given this? I think I went on. Um, I don't live Rotten Tomatoes, but I like when I like something, I like to go on and like vote, you know, and do the click because it's fun. I think I gave it, did I give, it was out of five. I think I gave it four. I was going to give it four and a half and I thought, nah. And so I was kind of like in the three and a half to four range because I, because it was fun. It was entertaining. It was solid. And I, when I, when it was done, I wanted more. I'm like, yep, I want to see Alden and Chewie being Han Solo and I want to see more Lando. I like, I'm, I'm totally good with this crew. So I think I gave it four out of five, maybe, maybe 3.75 would be a good way to do it. Cause <laughs> it, you know, it wasn't like, it didn't change. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't three. change my, you know, it didn't change my life, whatever, but it didn't suck. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, and it wasn't half-assed either, you know? And so I don't reviews before going in to see anything. I like to go in totally cold. I try to even avoid trailers. I'll watch like a trailer once, maybe twice, because then it sets you up to be like, well, if I know that ship's going to explode into that mountain or this person's going to pull a gun at this point, then when I'm watching the movie, like I was saying earlier, expectation can be a prison. My brain is subliminally going to be waiting for that moment. And then if I start to figure out how the setup's going to be like, oh, that's the same set design. That's going to, oh, okay. So-and-so is going to do this at that moment. You know, I don't want to know that. It's like maybe like you were saying, it's like a getting older thing. It's like don't try to find the presents in the attic before Christmas. It's like it's more fun to not know what's under the wrapping. So I, I think am glad, uh, I am glad that I listened to your advice and stayed off of the web. I did go into the movie not knowing what what was coming. So that definitely, I think, um, made it a better experience. I You know. What, am I on fire to go see it again? Not really, but yeah. it was a good, you know, mashup of a Western and a heist movie. I would yep. definitely go check out a sequel. If, if we have a Han Lando uh, buddy movie coming down the pike, I'd be interested to see that for sure. And yeah, I think, you know, three, three stars out of five, you know, a little bit plus uh, probably is where I would, rate this one and um but everybody should go see it and make up your own mind that's the uh that's the ultimate yardstick so i totally i totally agree so we we definitely are going to come back next month we'll have to pick another film and uh and break that one down and you know we'll be back with another movie review i i don't even know what month this is good god what is this june already it is yeah we're already in june Oh, it's going by quick. Oh, you might, but you mind if I can I add two things real quick? Because I don't of course. know. I don't know if you got them from from earlier. One, one of the uh, I kind of mentioned this, but there was a there's a specific example. But one of the things I really loved about the movie was was whether it was Ron or his editor or both. I, I assume it's both because it's usually how it works. But I loved the pacing and the editing, and I loved the the direction of photography and the cinematography when it, especially when it came to the action sequences, especially the train heist, because there's so many movies that, you know, it's CG 
you, you know, there's no way that they built this real thing, whatever you knew at CG, but they did such a good job. And part of me thinks this is the, this is the Ron Howard effect where the, the, the composition of the frame of like guys on top of a train, a ship flying around. And remember, it's a cloudy, snowy day against gray mountains with gray imperial grade. Everything's gray and black. You know, everything is bland. And yet your eye knew where to go all the time. Like every time there was a jump cut, it made sense to your brain what was going on. I thought that that train scene, and I, and I, for my tastes, I verified it the second time I saw the movie because I, I went with my oldest friend that I've known since kindergarten. We always go see Star Wars movies opening night together. And I wanted to go see if it was too intense for my kids. And so then when I took my family, I saw it the second time. And so watching that train heist again, I was like, man, they did such a great job of making this work that it's just it's exhilarating. And even though when you know what's going to happen, it's still cool to watch. And I think a lot of it had to do with the cinematography of people balancing a frame and saying, keeping the timing of, okay, we know how far that the, the end depot, is, that they've got to be done by this moment. You know, it's a classic train heist. It's like, they've got to do all this stuff before they get to this one point and blow the bridge. And, you know, and of course things go wrong and how do you improvise around that? It was so good and didn't have that fast, crazy, like, what was it? The second or the third Bourne movie, Jason Bourne movie, where it was just like a handheld shaky camera to make everything seem like action. It was like nauseous. And so I thought I, Ron did a great job with that. Yeah, totally agree. I, I, I really enjoy the pacing. And actually this goes all the way back to force awakens. I think every film they've released since the reboot has stayed, you know, they're not as slowly paced as the, as the original trilogy because times were different yet. Right. It is not in that born gear where, you yeah. know, or, or, or like if you think of the, um, there was one movie where this was really, really awful. Oh, uh, transformers. Oh you, God. Yeah. The first yeah. one you couldn't eat, or at least I couldn't because I'm old, but, you can't even tell what the hell is going on because no, of the can't. way they're trying to Not even on a TV. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it was just so distracting, but with, with solo, we don't have a lot of super short cuts from scene to scene, to scene, to scene. And it just kind of feels, you know, it's at a pace that I think a lot of different generations feel comfortable, you know, maybe little kids now would, feel that solo is paced a little slow and they just don't understand how to articulate that. But, right. but I think, yeah, the pacing of it was a big plus, uh, from my I standpoint thought it, for sure. Yeah. I thought I, I see, I, 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 I think about this a lot. Is it the, is it because it's, is it Ron Howard's sense of timing or is it because he's an older guy or is it the optimal, this is what good art does. Like, like, like you've got to linger on a shot for just that extra little beat more for your brain to, to fully take in the moment and be like, okay, this person's standing there, this thing's coming at them and let it linger for a minute so that your brain catches up and ascribes mass gravity, you know, force equals mass times acceleration. Because if, if you linger and you edit it right and you compose the shot, so that your eyes know where to go first and then second and third, 
And then you get that, you have that extra little moment for your brain to compute, to compute. What would it actually be like if I was up there? How hard would the wind be blowing? How, you know, like how close would this cliff edge be? And how hard would it be to stand the right way as this train leans for me to stand this way? I thought they, they knocked that sequence out of the park. It was so cool. And then, um, to your point about, um, Oh God, what I just, I just had it. Sorry. Um, when you said, um, the, the, um, Oh, about the sensibilities of like, if, are we older and, you know, do, do I, I, I know, I think it works. I think it works. And, and I mean, you've probably seen on our friends' Facebook pages, people are just like, we haven't seen it. We, some of our most cynical movie going friends are even enjoying this movie. I think this is going to be like this grower movie where you got all these content providers that are saying, well, it didn't make a billion bucks like Black Panther and Infinity War and Deadpool. So, well, not Deadpool, but so I guess it's a flop, Lucasfilm. You better look at your strategy again. And every weekend, I think it's just going to grow because people are going to be like, this is just a good movie. I can take my kid. It's, it's not too intense. And my kid can follow it. And, and even the, and I thought they did a fantastic job with showcasing the Falcon and letting the the super Star Wars nerds like just drool over how cool it is to see it brand new and so pimped out the way Lando had it. And when Han got hold of it and flew daylights out of it, and also all of that stuff in the Maw and the and the uh, the cluster and the Kessel Run, it's like it just it 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 went on as long as it felt like it should. You know, we got to see him maneuver, we got to see him, you know, push the boundaries of it. I just it was a it's fun. I think this is going to be a grower. I think people are going to come back to this and go, man, I just like watching this. It's cool to look at and it's fun and it moves. The second time I saw it, I didn't feel any dead spots. It was like, nope, it just, they don't waste any time. It's lean, you know? And, uh, uh, oh, and the last thing was, I think what's going to be neat is over the, is if they do three movies, I'm very interested uh, and looking forward to what I hope is going to happen is that over the course of those, we would think that the third one is probably going to lead up to new hope some way that it will be fun to see Alden mature the Han character so that by the end of the third solo movie, if there is one, he has that seasoned kind of, you know, cynical, irreverent, tired, smuggler fatigue vibe that will channel right into the vibe that Harrison had in New Hope. You know what I mean? I think that will be fun to watch. We so. will see. I, I'm. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll bet you ten bucks that there. You know, we're going to get two more of these movies. So, well, everybody, yeah. thanks for hanging with us, Dave. Thanks for hanging with us today, and uh, My pleasure. we'll we'll have to uh, we'll 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 plot another one of these uh, for July, and uh, we'll we'll break something else down. But I hope everybody had a good time, and. That's all we got. So we will, uh, we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you on uh, the next episode, guys. Awesome. Had a ball, Brian. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks for listening to Creator Confidential. To get future episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or follow the show on SoundCloud. For updates about future podcast episodes, essays, or live events, just text the word CREATOR to 66866. That's CREATOR to 66866.
You can also visit us on the web, Twitter, or Facebook. Creator Confidential is a production of Force 10 Media and the Tuck Law Offices. 